1: Oh, got oh, it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it. Is it normally? High fly ball, deep left field. Oh, 27, does it again. for ...this year. Walsh oh. sends it well out to left center field. Way, diving catch, Dole, oh, this is ho- Brandon Marsh the Los Angeles Angels Baseball, you listen to All Angels oh, Podcast. Is, for-
2: and welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So we have officially started the second half of this baseball season for the Angels, and everyone knows that for them to come out and make any kind of a run to a playoff spot, they're going to have to start the second half on fire. But unfortunately for the Angels, they are running into a team that is, is as hot as what the Angels want to be right now, and that's the Atlanta Braves, the World Series defending champs, Atlanta Braves. And the one thing going for the Angels at the start of this series is that they had their ace, their top guy on the mound to start the series after the All-Star break, and that was Shohei Ohtani. So a lot of expectation, a lot of hope, a lot of eyes were on this game on Friday when they start the second half of the season. And honestly, this game was kind of playing out exactly how you thought it would play out. Um, A really good pitching duel. And it was 0-0 all the way to the seventh inning. And Otani was dealing all the way until the seventh inning. And that's kind of where, though, the rare occasion that Otani's, you know, wheels kind of fell off. He's been so good over the last six, seven starts that it's hard to imagine that something like this was going to happen, even though your best pitchers, your your Cy Young type of pitchers always seem to have one or two of these games scattered throughout the year. And the Angels were depending so much on Otani to come away with victories that Unfortunately, this was kind of bound to happen. It doesn't mean that what Otani did in the past month or so plus wasn't who he is. It is who he is. And he's a great pitcher. He's, he's been so much better as a pitcher this year than last year, which is crazy. But like I mentioned, even the most Cy Young caliber type of pitchers have outings like what happened to Shohei on Friday. And Friday, you know, like I said, the biggest part too was it seemed... The offense still was not able to give him any kind of a lead. You talk to any pitcher, pitchers in general, you know that pitching with a lead kind of changes things a little bit. But unfortunately, the Angels were not able to get any kind of a run support for Shohei. So he really had to feel like he had to be perfect this game. And even Shohei himself during this game wasn't the Shohei that we normally see when he's on the mound. Usually when he's on the mound, he helps himself. He gets on base. He hits, he gets RBIs. He hits home runs. Shohei on this night, though, at the plate was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. So again, not what you normally see from Shohei at the plate when he's on the mound, like I said, he's usually the one helping himself, but unfortunately, in this game, there was no help to be seen. So now we fast forward all the way to the bottom of the seventh, and like I said, Shohei had a very, very good night going until the bottom of the seventh, and the crazy part too. You look at his pitch count at this point, it wasn't bad at all. We, we've seen so many Shohei games where because of walks or even honestly because of strikeouts late in games, his pitch count is really high. And that's just, again, the kind of uh, side effect, if you will, from throwing a lot of strikes and striking people out. You're always going you know, six, seven pitches into each at bat. But he was doing a very good job of controlling his pitch count in this game. And that's what made what happened in the seventh for me – very, very surprising. He starts off the bottom of the seventh by walking Dansby Swanson. And after that, the next guy up, Matt Olson, angel, still angel killer. Even though he's in a different uniform, it, Matt Olson will always be an angel killer, whether it's in Oakland where he did most of his damage or here against Atlanta. You just had a feeling that at some point in this series, Matt Olsen was going to be heard from, and he did. in this bottom of the seventh, when he was able to get a hold of a Shohei pitch, take it over the wall to give the uh, Braves a 2-0 lead in the bottom of the seventh. No outs. You're still thinking, okay, Shohei can still work through. It. I think at this point, a lot of people were thinking, okay, get someone up, get someone warm for Shohei. Again, like I mentioned, his pitch count wasn't that bad at all. Yes, it was a mistake. And yes, you know, you never want to walk the, the guy to start off the inning. But I think Shohei has made a good enough point, if you will, to give himself an opportunity to work through stuff like this. But the next batter, Austin Riley, all-star Austin Riley, ends up getting a single followed by two other singles by Travis Darnot and Eddie Rosario. So now you're looking at a 3-0 lead. And, you know, again, people are were saying – why is Shohei still in there? You know, obviously whatever was working isn't working, but Shohei has done a good enough job. I felt to try to work out of this, to try to give the opportunity to get out of these type of jams, because let's be honest, sooner or later stuff isn't going to work all the time for Shohei. He's going to get in jams. Now it's how do you get out of them? And he just really, really struggled after this, at this, after getting a fly out by, um, uh, Marcelo Zuna, he would end up giving up another home run to Orlando Arcia to make the score 6-0, and that's when they finally pulled Shohei out of the inning. We had Aaron Loop come in, and he too struggled at the point of, you know, when he came in with inherited runners and all that stuff, giving up a single and a walk on back-to-back at-bats, ended up getting a strikeout, and then he still, Aaron Loop, was not able to get out of the inning. And this is what we need from the bullpen, is when starters don't have it or lost it in an inning, you need bullpen guys to at least get through the rest of the inning. To, to use Aaron Loop in the bottom of the seventh, and for him to only get two outs was kind of unfortunate because you would like to still kind of hold the game. Granted, the game at that point was 6-0, but you were hoping that Loop was able to get out of that inning and not have to burn another arm out of the bullpen. So Shohei Ohtani book was officially closed at that point. He went six and a third innings, giving up six hits, six earned ones, one walk, and 11 strikeouts. Again, those six runs were all in the seventh inning. He was absolutely dealing until that point. But like I mentioned, it happens. Every good pitcher goes through a, a, a game or two where – they're dealing and something happens, whether it's fatigue, or maybe the batters just found out what they're doing, or maybe they don't even get that far into the game, and they end up getting rocked in the first, you know, three innings. So, I myself would not take anything away from the start from Shoei Otani. It's one start. We saw what he was able to do the past month plus two months, and that, I believe, is the real Otani, not the one that struggled for one inning in Atlanta. So, unfortunately, like I mentioned, they were able to get six runs off Shohei Otani, they were able to add another run off of Lupu again, who struggled to get out of that inning. Uh, Elvis Poguera would come in and finish the rest of the game. They would get another run off of him to give them eight total runs. Angels only able to score one run, and that was at the top of the ninth when Jonathan Villar homers, his third home run of the season, uh, to make the score eight to one. So at least it wasn't a shutout, but the Angels come out of the break really, really struggling offensively. Again, really struggling. Um, Shohei had a great game going; he ended up losing it. But again, I'm not too worried about that at all. I think the last, you know, two months of Shohei is the real Shohei, and everyone has games like this. But you know, it's still kind of disappointing to, to look at the second half getting going and knowing that you need a good start. You cannot start slow if you have any chance of not only making the wild card spot, but also showing to the front office that this team is willing to willing uh, should be invested into at the trade deadline. Remember, that's coming up in about less than two weeks. So that is another thing where this team has to show some kind of improvement if the front office is going to show that they're going to buy and try to make this team better. I think they go around, and I think they're in the selling phase. But if, they, if the players on the field want to change that, they need to start ripping five, six, seven games in a row, you know, or go on some crazy streak, winning eight out of ten kind of deal to show that, hey, we are still capable of putting a run together. But unfortunately, the first game in Atlanta did not show that at all. Again, as they lost uh, eight to one. So now we go to Saturday's game in Atlanta. Um, more of the same, unfortunately. You know, it's really hard, especially with Trout out. We found out on Friday that it looks like Trout is going to be out longer than uh, we initially or not we, but like the press initially uh, said or thought he's eligible. He's technically eligible to come back on Monday, but he had to get a, I believe, a zone shot or something like that into his rib cage, which the way they made it sound was like it it's in the part between like where the rib meets like the rib meat. I don't know. It just sounds <laughs> where they put it. It just sounds painful. So, you know, obviously Monday is not going to be a day for trout to be activated. Obviously you need trout to be a hundred percent. If you're going to be any kind of contender in a wild card situation, which again, I still think it's far out, but if you are able to win eight out of ten, you know nine out of twelve or something like that, you can be right back in it. But on Saturday night, you had uh, Patrick Sandoval on the round, on the mound. He didn't look great, and he's a guy, and I said this before on the podcast, where he is such a, an emotional ball, if you will, and I think that's part of him just being young. I can't wait, honestly, to see Patrick being able to control some of that emotion. It's great to be out there with emotion. Don't get me wrong. The emotions can get you up. The emotions can get you going. Put a couple more miles per hour on that fastball. I don't doubt that at all. But there is a fine line between being emotional and just kind of being overly emotional. I think Patrick at times shows that he's a little bit Overly emotional, especially when things don't go right early. Whether that's giving up a base hit, where he felt like um, there's an example in this game where he was up, uh, the count was one, two, ends up giving up a base hit. And it just seemed like he gets very frustrated with himself and is not really able to focus back in on the next guy. Again, you love that emotion. You love that he's he's frustrated with himself. But you can't let it kind of carry into the next at bat. And I think at times that's what happens. Whether it's, like I said, he doesn't take advantage of a good count, he doesn't get a call for a strike three, or just leaves a ball over the middle and hit someone you know gets extra base hit off of it. I cannot wait till Patrick can able to harness that. And again, he's young. So I'm sure it's coming with age and you always hear that Players when they're older, they just always say they wish they were, you know, knew what they knew now when they were in their younger body. And I have a feeling that's coming with Patrick Sandoval. That once he's able to harness and was and is able to kind of uh, control that emotion, I think there's big things for him in the future. You've seen what he does when everything's clicking. He's in a good rhythm. He's not too much in his head. He is one of the best pitchers the Angels have, if not one of the best pitchers in the AL West. He has a devastating uh mix of pitches. But I just think sometimes he gets into his own head sometimes, and it's just unfortunate that it happens. And again, I cannot wait until he's able to harness that um that emotion that he brings to the plate. But Astros, not Astros, sorry, ooh, the Braves got up early when they put two up on the board in the bottom of the first one by a single and one by a fielder's choice but then they added more runs in the bottom of the third inning so you're looking at by the time the bottom of the third inning ended the Braves were up 5-0 and the way this offense has been playing up to this point you had to make a move. You cannot let him add any more. And I think that's the main reason why Nevin made the move after the third inning. So you look at Patrick Sandoval's line, he goes three innings pitched, eight hits, five runs, two walks, four strikeouts, all that on 80 pitches. So he went 80 pitches in three innings. Again, 80 pitches by themselves doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're used to players going 80 pitches through six or seven innings and he's only going through three that's a lot of taxing throw taxing throwing on the pitcher's arm in a short amount of time so that move I believe was warrant warranted and again once he's able to control his emotion I, Patrick is a very good pitcher but right now it almost feels like he needs things to go the right way early in games to allow him to get into that kind of a groove. To show what he can do the rest of the game. And it just did not happen at all in this game. So Austin Warren comes in from on the fourth. And this is where it gets kind of unfortunate for the Angels because Austin Riley would come up with men on base. And he looked like to a lot of people to check swing on strike three. They appealed down to first base. Again, a lot of people thought he went. I thought he went. I think the broadcasters went. Even s- taking your bias out of it, showing the replay, it looked like he went. But unfortunately, the first base umpire did not see it that way, calls it a ball. Now allows Austin Riley, again, an all-star, a guy who has to this point 27 home runs to get another shot at a ball in play. And what happens? Next shot he gets, next pitch he gets, gets put over the wall for a two-run home run when it should have been strike three. So just things like that, it's hard to blame on the Angels when it shows that the umpire is not, I don't know, I can't say not capable, but it's just they missed the call. They flat out, they missed the call, and it ended up really hurting the Angels because you're thinking at that point, it's five to one, you have an outside shot, but at least there is some kind of a shot but unfortunately he hits that two-run home run it is now 7 to 1 Atlanta Shohei Ohtani would add a home run in the 5th inning but that's all the Angels could get offensively again this offense has been very very stagnant very you know unproductive with batters in scoring position and this game alone this this team the Angels were 1 in 9 with runners in scoring position. So again, guys seem to be getting on and then not being able to get around or they just haven't been able to get on. This game was a, was one of those where they had guys get on. You wasted a game by Jared Walsh, who has been struggling up to this point. He went three for four with two doubles and the first two at bats, he got doubles. And both times I don't with either one or no outs. And both times he was unable to come around and score. And that's very unfortunate because, again, you put guys in certain situations and they had just not been able to perform. Now we're going to have to see how this plays out the rest of the year. But, you know, obviously runners in scoring position is a huge thing. You have to really cash in on those opportunities when you are a struggling offense. But like I mentioned, Sandoval, not great. Warren got roughed up for that one home run that, again, Shouldn't have been. That was his only blemish, really, in that inning of work. He went one run or one inning, two hits, two earned runs off that one home run. Very unfortunate. Jaime Brea came in to clean up the rest of the game, pitching four innings, giving up one hit, one walk, two strikeouts, zero runs. So again, Jaime Brea have shown Jaime Brea has shown glimpses of being able to be a guy that can get you multiple innings and do. Fairly well at it it's just I don't know it just it's weird between him and Suarez both guys coming out of the bullpen in multiple innings and not just like one or two but like like in this situation four innings and doing really well and then you have the opportunity to be like okay well he pitched four really good innings and so I can see the draw of well let's give him a shot at the starting rotation let's give him a shot to extend that a little bit and start the game like that And then for whatever reason, Suarez and Beret, as the first two I think about, aren't able to do that. And you just have to think to yourself, is it because when when the other team knows that these guys are starting the game, it gives them time to scout them out and really sit and think about what they're doing and what their pitches are and all that stuff compared to when you bring them into a game. You know, you always think in the back of your mind, he could be a possibility to come into the game, but you don't really fully focus on him until he's there. And by then the game's going, you're already in the batter's box, it's already kind of too late to really sit down and scout him out. I don't know, but it's just frustrating that you see Berea, you've seen Suarez at times come out of the bullpen for four or five innings, pitch really, really well. The front office and the coaching staff give them an opportunity to start a game and they're not able to carry it over for whatever reason. And that's the frustrating part. And I think that's the frustrating part for this team in general. You see games and and you know stretches of players being able to really, really perform really well so you know they're capable of it. But it just seems like in the biggest moments, they are not able to. And then when they go cold, they go cold for a really, really long time. And I think it's just frustrating because you know it's there. They can do it. It's just a, a fact of doing it over and over again more and more consistently, and it does not seem like this team has been able to do that. So now we go to Sunday morning's game. Angels looking to avoid a sweep to start the second half of the season. Again, like I mentioned after the first game, if this team wants to make a serious run, they have to put series together. They have to win series. They have to sweep a couple series. They're going to have to go on some major runs and dropping the first two out of the break puts them in a very, very big hole. And quite frankly, the Angels are lucky right now that the uh, Oakland A's aren't the normal Oakland A's. The normal Oakland A's for the past four years, five years, they would be competing for third or second place in, in the division and leaving the Angels down in the basement. They are lucky that the A's, they caught the A's at the right time where they are totally tanking, totally rebuilding. So at the end of the year... It's a very good chance the Angels aren't in complete last, but if the A's were having any kind of a normal season to their standards, they would the Angels would be in last place. So, like I mentioned, we are going to Sunday morning's game. Reed Detmers is on the mound, and he's actually pitched pretty well coming back from his stint at AAA. Again, they went he went down there, worked with their pitching coordinator guy, and it just seemed like it was one on one. Let's figure this out. And it has worked. His slider has worked very, very well. So it was exciting to see what he would do at, during this game against a very good Atlanta lineup. Well, it helps when you have a little bit of a lead before you get out on the mound. And that's exactly what happened with a huge five-inning first inning for the Angels, something that hasn't happened in a very long time. And Taylor Ward gets it started
1: two balls and two strikes to count to Taylor Ward and there's a pitch driven into deep left field and it's gone
2: and then shortly after that you had Max Stassi come up with two on and is able to deliver an RBI single
1: Max Stassi wastes no time that's into center field They're going to wave Walsh around. He'll score. The throw's cut off. Renjifo to third. 2-0 Angels.
2: Still in the first inning, Joe Adele comes up with runners at the corners, and he delivers a little bloop single out to right field and scores Luis Renjifo.
1: Into right field. Acuna got a late break. It's a base hit. Scoring from third is Renjifo. 3-0 Angels.
2: The Angels would score another run on a Brandon Marsh um, fielder's choice and make the score 4-0. And still, in the first inning, you had Andrew Velasquez come up again with more runners at the corners, and he ends up hitting a ground ball the third base that the third baseman could not handle.
1: Andrew Velasquez punches it to the left side. It's deflected by Riley. Adele scores. 5-0 Angels.
2: So again, that would cap off a five-run first inning for the Angels. The first time again, they had five in, five runs in one inning. And as long as I, you know, probably going back to like May or something like that, then that's that's crazy and that's unfortunate. But again, it's always better to pitch with a lead. It's a little bit, you give yourself a little more room to be adventurous, if you will. You're not focused on every, or you don't, you're not hanging on every single pitch. You allow yourself to. You know, mess up and you're not so high, you know, like tense and stress. And I think that's what really helped Reed because he ended up going five innings, only giving up three hits, walking to six strikeouts and doing it all on 90 pitches. So, a very, very good outing by Reed Detmers, a very strong outing by, again, a pitcher that, like Patrick, I cannot wait till they get a little bit older, a little bit more mature. I think. You know, Sandoval, when he gets more mature, he'll be able to kind of um, focus more of his, his emotions. With with Detmers, I think when he gets a little bit older, he's going to be able to be more consistent. And, uh, you know, like any other young pitcher, not be so um, up and down. I think once both those guys get a little bit older, they're going to be solid, front-line of The rotation type of guys, you know, maybe ones, maybe, you know, I don't know if they'll be top of the lineup top of the rotation type of guys like solid number ones. They have the capability of doing it. But if you can turn those two guys into really good twos, as far as your rotation goes, and Otani's still around, if he's still around, and he can be your one, you'll have those guys right behind him. And I think that is a very, very good rotation to build off of. And we'll see what happens with Kai Bush. We'll see what, what happens with Sam Bachman. Sam Bachman just finally came back from injury this last weekend to pitch a game out in Rocket City for the Rocket City Trash Pandas. And he's a good guy that at the beginning of the year, you thought maybe at some point he would be with the angels, whether it's in the bullpen or starting rotation, but due to the injuries, I think we can now look forward to 2023 for sam i don't think there's a reason or there's there's no reason at all for him to come up now dealing with injuries all season let him stretch himself out let himself you know get get a little more seasoning down there in double a where again the competition is really really good and next year he can be in the rotation or at least competing for it but you have to like you know where Detmer's is since he's been coming back, and I think the the Sandoval trajectory is still going up, and he is able to be another really good pitcher if once he's able to again kind of control his emotions a little bit. But Detmer's again solid, solid five innings, and it always helps when you have a lead early in the game. The Angels would end up adding three more runs. In the fourth inning, so you're talking about at by the time Detmers leaves the game, it is 8 0 Angels. And I don't remember at all the last time the Angels had an eight run lead. You had Andrew Wance come in for an inning and two thirds, giving up two hits, one earned run, one walk, two strikeouts. Quijada comes in for a third of the inning, perfect, um, gets gets a out in the field. Uh, Jose Marte comes in for an inning. Rossell Iglesias gets some work in, even though it's not a safe situation. He hadn't pitched for so long that I can understand why he was in there in that situation. Again, this guy hasn't pitched since before the All-Star break. And he had the All-Star break, and now you're looking at a Sunday game. So I understand why that uh, why that happened as far as Rossell getting in. But the Angels win and hold off the sweep, winning 9-1 to against Atlanta in Atlanta, and now they are on a plane on the way to Kansas City, a team they should be able to take advantage of going forward. But, again, you have to like what you see from the offense in this game. Ward with uh, three hits. Uh, Renjifo with two hits. Stassi with three hits. Stassi, three for four with three RBIs. And I think that's the biggest thing that this team has been missing all season long, We can talk about Trout, we can talk about Otani, we can talk about Joe, and we can talk about Brandon, but coming into this season realistically, we were expecting better things from Max Dassey and Jared Walsh. Jared Walsh was an all-star last year, and he has not looked like his all-star self this year, and I think that's one of the things that really held back this offense. You're looking for Jared Walsh to take the next step, and he hasn't. If anything, he looks like he regressed a little bit. Same thing with Stassi. You're looking for him. He was getting better, getting better, earned the extension. But now it seems like he kind of take, took a step back. But if you can get games like this, again, you had Walsh the night before on on Saturday with a three-hit game with two extra base hits. And then Stassi with this game with three hits uh, and and three RBIs, that stuff will make this team win, will allow this team to win when you're able to get – contributions from this from the secondary players on this team ward again three hits for ward with that home run he did end up getting taken out later in the game and people were kind of concerned about that comes out that it was just cramps and from what it looked like and from what i'm hearing it was pretty muggy pretty nasty out there in atlanta Uh, obviously you had a little bit of a rain delay on friday so cramps is to in my eyes realistic We'll see how this plays out going forward again into Kansas City. But he was had a huge game and it was sucked to lose him after that. This game for the Angels, four of 13 with runners and scoring position. So a lot better than the one for nine in the previous game. So this is what the Angels offense is capable of. And it just I think that what frustrates fans the most is that it doesn't happen enough or hasn't been happening enough. It happened plenty at the beginning of the year. And the Angel fans know what it's capable of. And for whatever reason, it has not been there the last two, three months. And hopefully at some point they're able to get this thing clicking. Hopefully at some point they're able to get this thing moving in the right direction. And I'm just not sure if it's not going to be too little too late when that happens. And where does this put this team going into the future? So some roster moves that happen before and during this Atlanta series, the first one happened before the series started on Friday where you had David McKinnon optioned down to A Salt Lake to make room for Dylan Thomas, which made sense because of the fact that Mike Trout was dealing with this rib injury and that you're not quite sure when he is going to return. So getting more outfield depth definitely helps the Angels, but that wasn't the only move the Angels made during this series. Jonathan Villar has only been with the Angels for, I don't even think a full month, but he has struggled offensively. I know he hit the solo home home run on Friday night, but offensively, he has not been great. Defensively, he has been even worse. He had two errors alone on Saturday's game and has, I think, about five total for the Angels, maybe six. And again, only playing for a month, and regardless of how good this team is or isn't, you need to give this team a shot to win games. And when you're consistently making errors at a position like third base where it should be easy outs or maybe starting double plays to get out of innings and you're not able to do that, something needs to change. And he was DFA'd after the game on Saturday to make room for outfielder Magnus – Sierra from AAA Salt Lake. So now you're adding another outfielder to the mix um, for the Angels right now. And the way it looks right now, when you look at the roster, there is quite a bit of outfield help right now. As we stand, we have again, Joe, we have Brandon, we have Dylan Thomas, we have Ward, we have Sierra. So you have to have a feeling that when David Fletcher gets back in this locker room and back into the lineup one of those extra um outfielders is probably going to be on their way out and it it just feels like david fletcher is right there it just feels like david fletcher is a couple days away from making his return to to the angels Um, i don't know if you saw he made a great defensive play with for the salt lake bees on saturday night and he's just been playing very very well out in AAA Salt Lake. And more importantly, he's been playing almost every day, which to me means there's not an issue with the hip where they have to worry about getting him rest and sitting him after a starting thing like that. And I think that's the most important thing the Angels want to see. But it just feels like Fletcher is is days away, maybe by the time they're in Kansas City or maybe after the Kansas City series and they come back to Anaheim. We'll have to wait and see. Another thing that happened this weekend, they put Jimmy Herget on a... Um, rehab assignment and triple uh double a the trash city the rocket city trash pandas he had one outing um i think he gave up one run in that outing uh i i haven't heard anything as far as him being close to coming back maybe but again that's another good arm out of the bullpen he was having a very good year before the injury he's a guy that the angels should be getting back sometime soon but you know, I think Fletcher's gonna be a big part of this this lineup. And when you see that and you can put him at third, I think that's the way to go because you have to continue to see what Renhifo and Stefanic are gonna be going forward. This these guys, Stefanik and Renhifo especially, you know, they need to figure out what they have with these guys. Are these guys able to take the next step? Are these able to guys going to able to be major league players? If not, you might have to move on from one, if not both of them, at the end of the year or just keep them down in AAA and they can be a guy that can be uh, you know, a, a bench player and maybe you do go after a, a more solidified middle infielder. Maybe not one of the top guys out there. I know there's going to be Turner. There's going to be a bunch of uh, middle infield types hitting the free agent market this offseason and I'm not sure if the Angels are gonna in play for those type of guys but you have to have a feeling that there are going to be decent guys that they can make a play for if they do feel like Renhifo or Stefanik aren't the answer and Stefanik again he's young he's younger he's 26 years old he's a year older than Renhifo, but his MLB career is very very young and even though he's only had uh, 38 at bats you know, for him, they're only hitting 184 right now isn't a good enough sample size. So you need to let him play out. You need to let him play more for the rest of the season so he gets more at bats and you're able to see if that 184 average is legit or just a bad bad run for him. Because if he is the hitter that a lot of people saw down at AAA Salt Lake and what a lot of fans wanted to see up here with the Angels, you need to get him out there and you need to see if he can prove it or not. Because if he's not, then yeah, then you maybe you do bury him down in AAA like you saw a uh, like you saw Rojas for a while, um, came up, had a shot, never really proved that he deserved to be here daily, um, and maybe Stefanik is that same way. But you have to let him kind of finish out the season at second base to prove it. And again, Luis Renjifo. He seems like he's been around forever, but he's younger than Stefani. He's only 25 years old and he has been turning it around as of late. You look at some of his um you know stats for, you know, again, short sample size, but last 15 games for Luis Ranjifo, he's batting 328, slugging 4- 431. So, he's able to get on base. He does he's not going to have that pop, that power that I know a lot of teams want and maybe uh, Angel fans want. But for a fan base that has been saying, like, we need guys to get on base, we need guys to um, play small ball and not worry about trying to hit it over the fence, Luis has been doing that. You even extended out to 30 games now. He is batting uh 313 on-base percentage of 353, uh, slugging 464. So it just seems like the further out you get, the bigger sample size you get, some of his numbers are actually getting better. So um, Luis Ranjifo is definitely showing that he deserves to be on this team. And maybe if you feel like he is developing enough and he's able to take that next step, maybe you do feel comfortable enough having him play second, um, Fletcher play short, and then Rendon, when he comes back, play third. And you feel like that's comfortable enough. But you do have to wait and see and let this play out for the whole rest of the year. Uh you know, Luis has had two hundred and twelve at bats, so his his sample size is getting up there. His sample size is getting bigger, and it just seems as of late, he has definitely proven himself to be uh, a very big part of this team, very big part of this offense, an offense that has been struggling mightily to get anything going at all. So one of the questions I got on our Instagram direct message, and again, you can always send us a message on our Instagram, Halo underscore Haven on Instagram and on Twitter. I try to answer them as much as I can. I try to get to them as much as I can, especially the good ones like this talking about how Trout, obviously when first he got injured, it was only supposed to be for a couple of days, Um, turned out to be four days into the All-Star break, ended up being into the All-Star game. And now the IL to come comeback Monday. Now his return is kind of TBD. And w- someone asked me on Instagram, you know, why does it seem like the angels training staff or front office or whoever's in charge of sending the messages out always seem to be hiding things or concealing them until something like this happens. And it turned into from only missing like two or three games now to we don't know when he's getting back. And my answer is, is quite simple. You know, I'm sure there's a handful of us, probably more so than a handful of us that are listening to this podcast right now, myself included, that played sports when they were younger, whether it's you know high school and we t- and we topped out at high school, or maybe some of you guys were lucky enough to go play in college and play at a bigger stage. But I think if you've played sports, you've all had an injury or maybe even known someone that had an injury that might have lasted longer than you originally thought. You know, I had in football, I had back spasms and I wasn't sure how long it was going to last. It was one of those things where one day I felt great. And then you, you know, again, I'm in high school, you pick up, you know, your book bag wrong. And now it's like it re aggravated it. So I don't think the angels are over here purposely trying to mislead fans or the press or the media or anyone else. I think honestly, when it comes to injuries and again, if you played sports and you've been around a team, if yourself or someone you know has had injuries where, you know, one day you feel fine, the next day you, you know, it gets reaggravated and it makes it maybe even worse, a twisted ankle, high ankle sprain, again, back spasms. Sometimes things need to let heal before you can actually not heal, but need like the swelling to go down before you can actually make a legit kind of assessment of it. And I think in this era of instant news, instant gratification, we need to know all the details now, now, now. Injuries don't work like that. And they never work like that. Sometimes you can twist an ankle and you think you feel fine in, in three days and then you look at yourself and say, wow, I don't feel good. I, I, I didn't heal as fast as I thought. Sometimes the body doesn't care what you say. Sometimes the body doesn't care that you told everyone that you're going to be back in three days. And when you're talking about professional athletes – especially some of them that are getting a little bit older, it might take a little bit more time. I remember when Trout had the big um, injury last year, one of the things he said, it was frustrating for him because he wasn't bouncing back as quick as he previously did You know, when he was 26, 25, 27. And that's just normal. And that's the same thing now with any kind of injury. You have to look at the age and you have to look at the player. Sometimes it just doesn't work the way you want. It doesn't mean the team is hiding anything. And again... I'm not here trying to defend the team, but I just know from experience, and that's all I'm trying to give you guys is experience that if I've had personally. Is that you know you can feel fine one day, and then something as simple as picking up a bag of groceries can re-aggravate something in your, in your in those especially those soft tissue injuries. You know, a broken bone or you know something like that. It's fairly easy. You break it, you set it. The bone heals. You know, pretty much at the same rate for everybody. So you can put a pretty accurate timetable on it. But when you're talking about soft tissue injuries like hamstrings and you know muscles and tendons and all that stuff, that varies a lot from person to person. And it I think it's unfair for fans to get on Trout or any player that says, oh, I'll be back in four days. And next thing you know, they miss a week and a half. Things don't happen the way you want them to happen. And it sucks as fans because you do want them out there. And people are probably pissed off right now for me saying this, but I honestly think fans need to chill out with some of that stuff because you know again if you played any kind of sports high school college you know, recreational whatever you know sometimes it's a little harder to get the bounce back once you get older sometimes injuries don't you know last longer than you originally thought And i think that's exactly what hap- what's happening right now with trout so play play it day by day and i think that's what the angels are trying to do and yes it sucks that he's out there it sucks that he's still you know out and not being able to help this team, but again, he's no one gets healthier after third turning thirty one. No one's body gets better after turning thirty one, especially after this the steroid era. And that was the biggest thing too. I think people got used to or uh, maybe not used to, but just had in the back of their mind that look at all these players, they're great after the past thirty one. And guess what? That a lot of those players were steroid era. You look at some guys who who's who never were attached to steroids and how their body broke down when they got older. And the first one that comes to mind is Ken Griffey jr. Great, great player. But his body broke down when he went to Cincinnati after, you know, a couple years. And was that because of him not taking steroids? Probably he was a clean, he played a clean, clean sport. And that unfortunately is kind of the side effect of it. You play a clean, clean game. Your body breaks down a little bit faster. And unfortunately it seems like that's happening a little bit with trout I'm hoping when he does come back, this move from Marsh from, from left to center becomes a little more permanent. If you remember the first time Trout missed any kind of time, they were reluctant to put you know um, Marsh in center this season. They had Taylor Ward out in center. But now after the ulcer break, Marsh has been playing center field. And hopefully that means he'll be playing a lot more of that center field position going forward, even once Trout comes back. But It's Mike Trout. I think you give him the opportunity to call it when he wants to, and you just hope that he's able to see that putting him in a corner outfield spot will help him reduce injury and help him, you know, you're not covering as much field as you were in center field, and hopefully that helps Trout stay healthier longer. But you have to hope that Trout sees that for himself, not just the fan seeing it for him. So, like I mentioned earlier, the Angels are on their way to Kansas City to start a three game set against Kansas City in Kansas City. And the first game is going to be on Monday, where you have Noah Syndergaard on the mound against Zach Granke. Zach Granke, again, a little bit older, in age, up there in age, still a very sneaky good pitcher. Hasn't had a great year so far. He's three and six with a four six four ERA. But if you let Zach Granke get you know, in a groove and, and let him start finding his locations. He can be a very hard pitcher to get to um, for any kind of runs. And again, Noah Syndergaard, probably the Angels' best trade bait. This um, trading deadline cycle he needs to continue to put, in, or not even continue, needs to put a game together that makes teams want to call the Angels to pick him up. Because right now, as I see it, I don't think anyone's really calling for Noah Syndergaard. If they are, they're going to be offering a a C to D-level prospect, maybe two of those for Noah Syndergaard. They're not going to give up anything that is going to change this franchise one way or the other. And you hope that he might have two more starts left from now to the trade deadline. If he has two good starts, maybe that price goes up a little bit if more teams are calling for Syndergaard. But as of right now, I'm not sure if anyone's calling for Noah Syndergaard for him to be part of their team. So that's Monday's matchup. Tuesday's matchup, the Kansas City Royals have not declared who's going to be their starter, but the Angels have said that Jose Suarez will take the mound out in Kansas City. So again, Suarez, like I mentioned with Berea earlier, it's just one of those guys that you just feel like should be better and needs to take a step forward. He was actually fairly good last year. Another guy like like Stassi, like Walsh that you were expecting to kind of take the next step and he hasn't. You know, he's either kind of neutral the same he was last year or maybe even take a little step back and you're you need young guys like that to continue to develop because when you're planning your off season, you know, it's hard to Go after certain players or not go after certain players when you're thinking in your head, like, okay, this guy is you know, 24, 25 years old, had a great year. The natural progression of him is to get better. And when he doesn't, it just shows up a lot more in in the record. And it, that's exactly what happened with the Angels. So the Angels have another game on Wednesday, which is going to be the travel day for this series. It's going to be 11.10 p.m. Uh, so Wednesday morning baseball and right now, the Angels have have a TBD spot there for their starting pitcher. The Kansas City Royals are going to answer with Brad Keller, 5-10 and 10 with a 4-16 ERA with 68 strikeouts. Obviously, there's going to have to be some kind of roster movement with this start on Wednesday. Is it Sealseth? Is it Diaz? Is it, you know, there's a a handful of players out there who are on currently the 40-man roster that can start during that game, and you're just going to have to wait and see who gets brought up and see who gets activated for that game because uh, there's really no one there right now. Again, you have Jonathan Diaz, Davis Daniel, um, Jansen Junk. We'll see what happens with Lorenzen. Haven't heard anything about Lorenzen coming back from the IL stint. Chase Silseth. I mean, there is a handful of players or pitchers that they could bring up and uh, and start that game on Wednesday. We're just going to have to wait and see. And, again, Kansas City has been really, really struggling right now. Their record is 38-57, and 57, so they're two games worse than the Angels. Angels have to take advantage of this series. They need a sweep, need a sweep in the worst way, and even then they need a sweep for the next one when they come home after this series to play the Texas Rangers, who – like I said at the beginning of the year, this team is sneaky good and they've shown that over the last uh you know handful of months. But again, three-game series out in Kansas City, need to really take advantage of this matchup. Kansas City has been struggling just as much as the Angels have and you have to beat these teams. We'll have to wait and see Syndergaard, we'll have to wait and see how he does on the mound and hopefully the offense can Get some kind of momentum, some kind of juices going after scoring nine runs against Atlanta in Atlanta on Sunday. So, we'll be back Wednesday night to record uh, the next episode of the All Angels podcast after the Kansas City Royals uh, series and preview the Texas Rangers series, which will be the last series before the trade deadline. They're off Monday. The first, and then I believe Tuesday, the second, is going to be um, the trade deadline, and we'll see how this all plays out within a you know a little bit more than a week. What happens? Who gets moved? Who doesn't get moved? Angels have said they are not moving Shohei Otani. We'll talk probably a little bit more about that next podcast. Um, of course, if you have any questions about the podcast, or if you have um, want to ask a question for the podcast, you have two. Ways of doing it. The first one is to DM a question at our social media feeds. That is Halo underscore Haven, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Go ahead and ask questions there. Or if you want to leave a voicemail and get your voice on the podcast, go ahead and call the voicemail number 951 384 0810, and I will put it in the podcast description. So again, that's 951 384 0810. If you want to have your voice heard, on the podcast. Again, really appreciate the, um, the communication. I really appreciate the fan interaction. Uh, again, if you like the podcast, please go to your iTunes account and rate and write a review for the podcast. That would help out a lot. Um, you know, five stars, any kind of thing, a review, great podcast, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say, you can even put things you want to see better done in the podcast because I am all ears to make this better for the fans, make it better for you guys that are listening. And thank you for all you guys for listening. Recently, um, we have passed past the hundred thousand download mark. Um, and that's over the last, I believe two and a half seasons since this new format that we've been using for, uh, for the podcast, it keeps track of our downloads. So it's not over the last, you know, lifetime of the podcast but as of you know the last couple years we're already at a, over a hundred thousand downloads and that's pretty cool i know that number might not sound huge but it's the fact that there's a hundred hundred thousand downloads of this podcast out there somewhere and that's that's something really really cool and i feel fortunate to have that um you know, as a kind of a badge and it's really cool. And and that's all because of you guys I really, really appreciate it. So again, if you could rate and review this podcast, help spread the word to get to other angel fans. And I know it might be not the best time to listen to the podcast, but hopefully we'll have some better news going forward. And definitely once the off season comes and we can start, you know, theorizing what's going to happen is also a fun time to listen to the podcast. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the all angels podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia, and this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast.
1: Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match. Just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.